Welcome to the Book Marketing Action Podcast. We feature exciting guests, real conversations, and actions you can take to reach the biggest possible audience for your work. I'm Becky Robinson, your host for the podcast, the founder and CEO of Weaving Influence, and the author of Reach, Create the Biggest Possible Audience for Your Message, Book, or Cause. I also created the Reach More Readers Workshops. Thank you for choosing to learn with me, and I hope you'll take action today as a result of listening to this show. If you benefit from the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us to help us reach more listeners. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Book Marketing Action Podcast. I'm your host, Becky Robinson. And before I introduce today's guest, I want to tell you that it took a little bit of persistence to get Dory Clark on the show. Um, When my team and I were planning episodes to uh, really help bring the ideas of my book to life more, like, for example, The Long Game, Dory's latest book, covers a topic that I cover only briefly, longevity, that it takes time to make an impact with your online presence. So I really wanted to bring Dory on the show because she wrote a whole book about a thing that I spent a little bit of time talking about. And by the way, it's fantastic. I spent a lot of time with it this morning. I've underlined things and starred things, which I don't usually do with books. Um, And so I'm going to recommend before I introduce Dory, before we go any further, that you stop what you're doing, you pause the podcast. And if you haven't already, go by the long game because it's definitely worth reading and it tells the truth and it tells the truth in ways that are really accessible. And I think in ways that people aren't necessarily talking about. Okay. So all that to say, I'm so thrilled to have Dory here. Um, I don't know if Dory needs an introduction or not. Obviously, I'm on a first name basis with her now. Um, But Dory Clark um, is a four-time author. Her latest book, The Long Game, did make a bestseller list. I'm ashamed to say I don't know which one, but we're going to talk about that later in the show. Uh, Dory is also among the Thinkers 50. And in fact, in the book, she tells a story about when she was named the Thinkers 50. It's inspiring. And so you want to read the book just for that. She also teaches at multiple business schools, including Columbia and Duke, um, and speaks all over the place and splits time between Miami and New York City with her adorable cats, which you can't see because this is audio only, but just trust me. Uh, So welcome, Dory. Hey, Becky. Thank you so much. So let's talk about the long game. And you know what? I'm going to throw out the question that I had first and, and really talk about how it's going marketing the long game. We were talking about this before we started recording. So tell me about the experience of marketing the long game compared to your other three books and what you've learned on the journey. Well, I am, I am glad to. Thank you. So marketing the long game, I am thinking about differently than I have for my previous books. And I somehow got it in my head. I think... I think this is advice that probably works really well if you're like in a certain fiction genre, like mystery or romance or something like that. But, you know, there's sort of a saying that the best way to market a book is to write your next book. And uh, I thought, all right, I'm going to do that. And so I was really in this kind of frenzy, I think, to prove myself and to uh, come up with a bunch of intellectual property. And so I wrote three books in very quick succession. My first one, Reinventing You, came out in 2013. My second standout came out in 2015. My third one, Entrepreneurial You, came out in 2017. So there, because, uh, you know, as uh, astute listeners will know, it usually takes about a um, 18 to 24 month publishing cycle for traditional publishers. Basically, as soon as I was done with one, I immediately turned to the next one. 
And, you know, that was good in one sense of just like pumping out a lot of books. I, I now have a lot of things I can talk about. So that's, that's good. But it was not good in the sense that what I've really come to realize is that the work you do marketing your book around its launch is really just the starting point. I mean, yes, you want to launch it effectively, but it's foolish to think, oh, I'm going to do what I need to do at the launch and then it'll take care of itself after that. It never takes care of itself. You have to keep taking care of it. And so what I've decided to do for the long game, uh, partially for that reason, partially because uh, it's very meta because this is like playing the long game for the long game. And partially because, you know, I just freaking need a break from writing books. Uh, I've decided that I have committed to marketing this particular book for five years. So it came out in September of 2021. Uh, I'm going to keep marketing it through 2026 and uh, just keep really uh, pushing it and not immediately turn my attention to writing another book, which is what I did in the past. That sounds like a great plan. Um, I'm curious as I listen, how much you've been marketing the other books after they came out or incorporating them in your content or, or other initiatives? You know, I mean, not as much as I should have, right? Uh, certainly I continued marketing them in the sense that the underlying IP became a part of speaking that I did. And that's a big part of my business. So, I mean, Literally three days ago, I gave a talk uh, in New York City about Reinventing You, which was my, my first book that came out nine years ago. So, you know, people still ask me to speak about that. So it's, it's still a thing that I, I market in that way. And, you know, I'll write articles that touch on those themes, but it's not, I guess, the primary focus of what I'm doing so I, I think retrospectively that I, I just turned too quickly away from marketing efforts because for my last three books that, that I did, I did an enormous amount of podcasts in particular, but I mean, I was, I was obviously marketing them in, in many ways, but just as one proxy as one sort of barometer for the marketing effort uh, for standout for entrepreneurial you and for the long game. Uh, each of those, I did about 160 podcast interviews around the launch, and it was it was just extremely intense. And so for the for the you know first two of those books, I was just done at the end of it. You know, I was I was doing these things where I'd be like doing whatever six or seven interviews in a day, and I was so completely spent that as soon as the launch period was over, I mean, let's call it like a month or two after the book came out, I'm just like, yeah, great. Now, now I have a permission to not do another podcast for like two years, <laughs> which, which is not a great way to keep the momentum of your book going. So, uh, so now I, I want to try to take a more measured path. That makes sense. So let's talk about what was different about the long game. You know, you mentioned that this is the first of your books to make a bestseller list. And I know for those who might be listening, who are first time authors, I talk to a lot of first-time authors who, who say that their goal is to make a list. And so then we have to talk about, well, which list and, you know, how do you make the list and all that stuff. So can you give us some real talk about what it took for you to make a bestseller list and which yeah. one, of course? Yeah. So, so uh, the long game made the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Um, I was fortunate that it was on for two weeks. Yay. Uh, it hit number three the first week and then number 10 the second week. And the short answer for how I was able to make the bestseller list is um, 
I uh, forfeited an enormous amount of revenue by trading book sales for uh, for speeches and workshops. That's that is how you make the bestseller list. Re- realistically, um, what you need to be able to do in order to make a bestseller list, uh, we're leaving aside Amazon, which is you know, honestly, a little bit of a specious bestseller list, uh, because that can be pretty easily manipulated. But, um, but, you know, for the New York Times, or the Wall Street Journal, or, you know, some of the other big ones, like uh, USA Today, you need to, to, you know, what most lay people, of course, don't understand is it's not, you know, people, people sort of assume that just means, you know, oh, you're a bestselling author, it means like, well, you've sold a lot of books. Well, it's not quite right. Being a bestselling author means you've sold a lot of books, in a one week period and it is hyper precise. And so part of what makes it really hard is that you need to marshal all of your resources around this particular week or, you know, a couple of weeks. And, um, you need, you need to, to be able to have a high enough volume, um, where you're able to do it for the wall street journal bestseller list you can kind of squeak onto the list with maybe 2500 copies and you know safely you want to sell five somewhere between 5 and 10,000 uh in a given week to be able to you know to to really uh confidently make the list for the New York Times bestseller list it's higher it's probably a floor i would guess of around 10,000 and then you know hopefully more than that you'd be able to make the list so uh, it's it's very very challenging for almost anybody to be able to reach that unless you either have number one an enormous fan base and following either from your email list or social media or uh, connections where you're able to um, to convince people you know people could be companies or whomever uh, to buy a lot of copies of the book but the trick is. It needs to be diversified enough. Uh, it just, you know, they don't obviously want to have a lot of super wealthy people where it's like, well, I just bought 50,000 copies of my book. So I'm a number one New York Times bestseller. That would be rather unfair. Um, so you have to structure it in a way so that it's not, you know, some, you know, like like super obvious ego play, but that act- actual real people are actually really legitimately buying your book. So for me, uh, it was a combination of doing an aggressive pre-sale campaign to my email list and also uh, promising a lot of companies that I would give talks for them, you know, webinars or whatever, if they would, you know, buy a certain number of copies of the book and, and you know, just being able to sort of parcel that out so that you both hit a high enough number and do it in a diversified enough way that it is legitimate. So it sounds like it was a two-pronged approach. And I'm curious, Dory, if you have any insights for those who might be listening who are first-time authors. You know, you did this with your fourth book. So what do you think is needed for someone who wants to build or take the long game approach to someday making a list? So a piece of it, which um, which I'm, I'm sure uh, is a key thing that you're advising, Becky, is investing the time and energy in building an opt-in email list. That's probably the number one most important thing because it's your way of reaching your readers directly. And so having having an active list of people that are interested in your work and have opted in, you know, not of course just like you know, emails that you've 
uh, surreptitiously downloaded from LinkedIn or something like that uh, is is super valuable as a way of, of being able to reach people at the right moment. Um, that's crucial. And then understanding who the best sort of, you know, I say in, in, in air quotes, you know, the best bulk audiences, the best sort of wholesale audiences are um, a reason why I did not aggressively pursue a bestseller campaign for my last book, Entrepreneurial You, was I knew that because of the content, you know, how do you be more entrepreneurial, it would appeal to consumers, but it was not of interest to corporations. And so it was not a worthwhile effort to be like, oh, hey, I'll do a webinar for you if you buy 100 copies or 200 copies or, you know, whatever it is. Um, it uh, That just wouldn't have flown. And so my strategy was entirely just, you know, trying to reach people on my list and, you know, my friends lists and write, you know, writing blog posts and things like that. Uh, so it was kind of a B2C or business to consumer strategy. Uh, but I think growing your list is the best thing for an author. And then above, above and beyond that, identifying people or organizations or companies or institutions that would be interested perhaps in buying a larger number of, of books. Got it. So I have a curious question and you may not be able to answer it, Dory, but do you think that you've had or experienced a linear progression of each of your books being more successful than the last? No, no, I, I, I haven't. I wish I had, cause that would be quite, you know, satisfying, but you know, something that I, I just continue to feel a little sad about is my, my poor underappreciated book stand out, uh, which I think was a terrific book. It came out in 2015 and uh, it's called Standout, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. Um, that, that was my second book. My first one, Reinventing You, actually was, was pretty successful, which was great. And Standout, the, the follow-up, follow you know, I wanted and expected it to be more successful because I had grown my email list pretty significantly in the interim. And I was just so much more strategic about my launch. You know, I, I did a huge amount of publicity around it, worked really, really hard. And just from the beginning, it was not as successful. And, uh, and it's a disappointment to me because I think it's an excellent book. I think it's better, you know, frankly, than, than reinventing you. I knew better what I was doing. I worked pretty hard at it. Uh, but what I came to realize retrospectively is, frankly, it's just a little bit more of a niche topic. Reinventing you is something that a lot of people go through. Like a lot of people have reinventions one way or another. You know, you get fired from your job or you get laid off or you're like, you know, I think I want to try photography. So just about anybody who has a profession of some kind at some point either wants to reinvent or has to reinvent or something like that. Whereas standout is, you know, fundamentally it's about how do you become a thought leader in your field? And this was a topic of keen interest to me. Nobody had written this book. It was information I wanted to know. I was very, you know, fired up about this. And the, pe the people that I was friends with, they wanted to know too. They wanted to be the best in their fields. But what I've come to realize, Becky, is most people are actually not that ambitious and they don't, they don't want to stand out. They're like, oh, it sounds like too much work. And so I think uh, it was just not as popular of a concept. Uh, but, but I will say for anyone who is listening, if, uh, if, if the idea of becoming a recognized expert in your field appeals to you, read this book. It's quite good. But uh, unfortunately, most people are like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, so Dory, we've, we've touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious if there are any other ways that you think that you've been taking the long game path to success yourself as an author and a business owner. Well, you know, I, I think 
that I, it is certainly something, uh, you know, even before I wrote the book or before I had the idea to write the book, the premise of playing the long game in general was something that I, I really tried to, to do and to live out because, you know, the, the truth is like everybody, like everybody, I would like for success to come rapidly. That's, that's a nice thing. We would definitely like that. But what I came up against time and time again is that, oh, you know, it just, it just almost always takes a lot longer than you want it to. That's, that's just how it rolls. And as a result, you have two choices. You know, one choice is either you just give up uh, or the other is you suck it up and you have to, you know, suck it up in a way, hopefully, that is strategic. Because, you know, lots of times people say, oh, just be patient. But they kind of mean it in a way where it's just like, oh, stop bothering me. Stop talking about this. Just, you know, sit back and, and shut up. And I'm not interested in that either. Like, I want to try to make things happen. I'm a proactive person. But I also just came to realize the limitations of that, that not everything can be moved forward. Not everything can be um you know, proactively shaped. Uh, so, so you just, you have to simultaneously hold two realities in your mind. Yes, you have to be patient. Yes, it might not happen as fast as you want, but it doesn't mean that you're just waiting for life to happen to you. There are things you can be doing. You can be developing hypotheses. You can be testing hypotheses. You can be working things around the edges uh, so, that you're, so that you're ready while everything else kind of percolates. And so for me, you know, I think probably like, like a lot of folks that I, that I coach and that I, I work with in my courses and things like that, I, you know, I also have plenty of things that I would like to uh, be able to do or, or have done. But uh, I think that there is, there is merit and there is virtue in plugging away because if you do keep working the process, if you do keep doing the right things, um, good, good things will happen. Not, not in, you know, some sort of like, oh, I made a vision board and good things will happen, but because you have been doing the work. And I'll just give you one other example, a non-book example. Um, a milestone for a lot of people is doing a TEDx talk, you know, which is a cool thing often tied to your book. And so I have been fortunate enough to do four TEDx talks. My first one was 2014. Uh, and, you know, so I've now done four of them. And of course, the second thing, once you land the TEDx, the next thing that everybody hopes is like, oh, wow, well, I hope it goes viral. Wouldn't that, you know, wouldn't that be great? But, you know, mostly they don't. Mostly they get a few views and, you know, that's nice, but, but they don't, they're not huge. But uh, my fourth talk actually was picked up a couple of months ago by the TED.com channel and therefore was able to get a ton more exposure and it's now, as we're having this conversation, just shy of a million views. It's about 940,000 the last time that I checked. And so it's so exciting to have that happen. You know, that is, you know, a legitimate thing to be celebrated, but it really took a, a long time. It took eight years between my first TEDx talk and this one actually getting the level of, of pickup that it has. That is amazing. Congratulations. Well, let's pick up on um, something that you were pointing to with your last comments. You're talking about how, you know, it's not about being patient, but you have to be strategic. And in the book, you talk about strategic patience. So could you say a bit more about what strategic patience looks like as we act it out or live it out in our lives? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, this this was also something that I was inspired to do uh, to and, you know to talk about in the in the long game because of my work with clients. Because what I would often see is you know the folks I was working with, and, and you know these guys are consultants or coaches, they're authors, you know they're they're people who are trying to get their ideas out into the world, and so we'd have sessions, you know, every couple of weeks and they'd give me the report about what they'd be doing, you know, and then at a certain point in the session, they'd just sort of stop and they'd kind of look at me. They'd be like, well, so what, what next, what should I be doing next? And I always felt like the biggest villain because I would have to say to them, I'm like, um, you know, really, it's just about doing the things you're doing, <laughs> you know, like with what I think a part of them wanted, even if they recognized that this was not totally rational was for me to say, wonderful. Now you've graduated. Now it's TikTok and, and, and you do TikTok and then, then you will go viral. You know, it'll all click into place or, you know, whatever, uh, whatever the, the thing du jour is. But so often what I had to do and, and really what I saw my role as a coach was in many ways was just encouraging them in the extremely boring work of continuing to do the thing that they were doing. Because guess what? It was the right thing they were doing. It just takes a while. And for most normal people, you tend because you are bored or because you tend to question like, oh, well, really, this should only take a couple of months. You know, it shouldn't it shouldn't take like years like, you know, I, this isn't working and they give up. And so they never actually see the fruits of their labor. But so much positive comes when you just keep doing the thing, when you keep, just keep, you know, chopping the wood and carrying the water. And so that was really what I was steering people toward. So Dory, in the book, you have some really specific ideas about how much time it takes. And I, I would love for you to share those very specific ideas. You share how much time it takes to get traction when you start doing the things and then how much time it takes to be recognized as an expert. And I think this is something that people are not talking about enough. And I was so happy when I saw it in your book, because like you and working with clients, I'll, I'll get comments like, you know, will we see an ROI in three months? Will we see it in six months? And there's a lot of pressure to deliver results quickly. So share those numbers with us. Yeah, ab absolutely. And uh, just to take a step back and explain a little bit about how, how this uh, information is derived, uh, I run an online community called Recognized Expert. It's an online course and community for folks that are looking to become uh, recognized in their fields and, and share their ideas more publicly. And as a result of that, you know, certainly drawing on my own experience, but also there's more than 700 people who have been through the program now. So I feel like I've really gotten to have a fairly wide ranging look into the mechanics in a, in a variety of different fields of what it actually takes to be successful and what that process looks like along the way. Because a, a problem that I see quite often actually is that for a lot of people, I mean, we literally, we all know, I mean, all of us could recite like, okay, yes, you know, yes, I get it. Success is not overnight, right? Like nobody, nobody thinks success is overnight, but the problem is that there's no more information after that. Nobody tells you what, okay, what not overnight means. Is it like, okay, is it two nights? Was it a week? Is it like a year? Is it 10 years? Like, Nobody has any idea, and it could mean just an infinitude of things. And so I really wanted to try to 
kind of put some some boundaries around that like okay well what is reasonable what should we be looking at right and so the first principle that i think is really important to know is growth often is exponential but only after a long period where it seems like nothing is happening. So what I advise people is, and, and this is very hard for a lot of folks, this is why it really takes, I think, courage and character and, and perhaps, you know, hopefully being surrounded by a community of people who can encourage you through these difficult times. But the truth is, it takes two or three years of very consistent effort putting yourself out there, sharing your ideas, you know, whatever form it takes, you know, running the podcast, uh, writing for the blog, you know, whatever it is. Um, but it takes about two or three years before you see almost any return. It, you're doing it for, you know, two and a half years and, you know, your mom and your friend are reading it. And it's just like, wow, why am I doing this? Nobody's paying attention. This is terrible. And so a lot of people give up at that point. But the the tricky part, I think that, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel is that, oh, after quite a while of not seeing any progress at all, all of a sudden you reach a point typically where your efforts start compounding. You know, it takes multiple iterations for people to remember who you are, to remember your name, to start, you know, being interested in things or sharing things. But all of a sudden it does kind of catch, catch on because, you have created a competitive moat with other people because you have been doing this effort and they haven't. So somewhere between two and three years, typically, people begin to start to see returns. And they might be small returns at first, but, you know, it's things like, oh, well, they, they're starting to get speaking invitations. And you know what? Maybe they're not paid speaking invitations even, but all of a sudden people are like, oh, well, she seems to know what she's talking about. Yeah, let's invite her. You know, I mean, over time we want them to be paid, but you know, there's these first initial steps or all of a sudden, you know, you're starting to get a lot more people following you on LinkedIn or whatever, but you start to see these signs at two or three years. And if you pay attention, it's like, oh, well, I guess that wasn't happening a year ago. I guess that actually is progress, but you have to work, you know, hard managing your own emotions to be able to get to that point. And then by year five, typically, which, you know, it sounds like a long time, but also, hey, the time's going to pass anyway. By year five, you are actually able to see noticeable progress. That is where things are happening. And you're like, oh yeah, that's actually a thing. You know, you're starting to get asked to speak for money or people are coming to you and they're really good prospects. And they're like, oh, hey, could I work with you? And that's when it starts to get really exciting and really fun. But there's, you know, and again, you know, these, these numbers have asterisks on them. It could be faster or slower, but over time uh, with this sort of group of 700 plus people that I've seen, this is what I have seen on average as being most common. And I, ho I hope that, that the numbers are useful to people as kind of a way to be thinking about it. Well, I found them super useful and I know I'm going to reference them, you know, as I talk with clients, because there is so much mystery here and people don't want to be told that it's going to take years. They want to think it's going to take months instead. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, a, it sucks. I mean, I agree it sucks, but B it actually becomes an incredible competitive advantage because other people are generally not willing to do that work. And so if you are, 
we might think, oh, there's so much competition. There's so much competition in the marketplace. You know, how could I ever get noticed? Well, guess what? All of a sudden the competition thins out a lot and you're competing with very few people if you actually are willing to put in that work over time. That is super helpful. Um, and I'm really glad that you shared it with us, Dory. So Dory, as we come to the end of our time together, I'm wondering if you could just give your best pitch to our listeners for why they need to take the long game or play the long game if they want to achieve success in uh, marketing their books or building their online presence in ways that add value for others. Well, ultimately, there's not really a choice <laughs> when it comes to playing the long game, right? I, I think, I think it, is, uh, it is valuable to play the long game, but certainly if we had the option of playing the short game and getting huge, massive amounts of success, then by all means do that. <laughs> but the, the problem is it just, it just usually doesn't work that way. If we, if we actually want the goal that we claim that we want, you know, which is in this case, perhaps to publish that book, to turn that book into a bestseller, uh, you know, maybe hitting the bestseller list or at least selling a lot over time so that people are hearing your ideas. You know, if we, if we want to grow our business and get clients coming in the door, if we want to make an impact with our ideas, then we need to be prepared to do what is necessary to make those things happen. And in most cases, statistically, it's not something that is, you know, the tap of the magic wand. It's something that we work for and we work for it over time. And so orienting ourselves and just, you know, reconciling ourselves to, you know what, it's a process and it is uh, a process that, uh, does not necessarily look like a straight line. Sometimes there are detours. Sometimes there are things that are setbacks or at least look like setbacks at the time. And we've got to find a way around it. That is par for the course. But if we are actually committed to the outcome that we want, then we will do it. And it becomes a way that we earn our success because so many other people are just not willing to do it. They want, they want the easy thing, the easy way. And the minute they get hard, they bail. But if you are not like that, if you can prove yourself, yourself to be a person who is worthy of earning that success, then the truth is the crowd you're competing against. I mean, there, you know, there might be 10,000 people at, you know, when they fire the, the starting gun, uh, maybe there's, you know, 15 <laughs> by the time you get to the end of the race. So the odds are very much in your favor. Amazing. Thank you so much for those powerful words, Dory, and for the value that you've added through the long game. I'm going to repeat my advice that everyone should get the long game, underline the long game, read the long game uh, to fuel your commitment to longevity for your online presence. Thanks, Dory. Thank you. Actually, one thing, Becky, that I will mention as well is there's a free long game strategic thinking self-assessment. And if folks are, are interested in checking that out and just learning more about how to become a long-term thinker in their own lives and their own careers, they can get it for free at doryclark.com slash the long game. Perfect. And we'll put all the notes that we've referenced, including the book stand out that I think will be of interest to our listeners into the show notes. So everyone can find those to connect with Dory. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. 
What an amazing conversation with Dory Clark today. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. As we come to the end of this episode, I want to leave you with a couple of very simple action steps for today. The first one is to buy and read and learn from Dory's thinking in the long game. And if you're interested, I want to restate the the self-assessment that Dory has available for free on her website. It's a long game strategic thinking self-assessment, and you can find that at doryclark.com, the long game. Uh, The other thing that I want to encourage you to do is to listen to Dory's recent TEDx talk. It has nearly a million views as of the time that I'm saying this, and uh, you don't want to miss it. I hope that as you listen to it, even though it's not directly related to book marketing, that you may get some ideas about how to manage your life and work more effectively. As always, if I can be of help to you, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm Becky at weavinginfluence.com. See you next time. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Book Marketing Action Podcast. If you haven't already, I hope you'll buy a copy of my new book, Reach. Create the biggest possible audience for your message, book, or cause. When you buy the book, you'll unlock a free course of Reach resources with more than 50 additional learning resources available exclusively for those who buy the book. Find out more and find links to buy the book at beckyrobinson.com forward slash book. If you've already read the book, I'd appreciate an Amazon review. Thanks.